where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. I'm recording today at around 12.40 p.m. April 20th, 2023. You'll be happy to know that it is in fact snowing in Bend, Oregon right now. As best I can tell, that will never stop. For those of you not in Bend, count your lucky stars that maybe isn't snowing where you are. Although I know folks over in the Valley have gotten a ton of rain and not a whole lot better. Been a couple of weeks since we had a podcast. I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off, moved offices in the last couple of weeks and had a bunch of work stuff going on that have kept me out of the studio, but it's good to be back and talking with you today. No no guests today. We will have some guests coming up here, but thought I'd use this episode as kind of a way to catch up on some things, kind of a hodgepodge podcast episode on some stuff that's caught my interest over the last week or so. Hopefully it'll catch your interest as well. We'll talk about Tina Kotek getting to her 100 days, that mythical number that everyone thinks about, talks about, thanks to FDR, like so many other things that FDR did that were bad. And then we'll talk a little bit about our friends at Breach Collective, which is that nonprofit that pushes for bans on gas stoves, wrote a piece on them a while back, have a little bit of an update today. And then we will revisit my ongoing conspiracy theory about drought and about how no matter how much precipitation we get, we will always be in a drought according to someone's definition. And finally, then I'll give you a little update on some documents I've received from the Oregon Secretary of State's office with much more to come on that soon. So Tina Kotek, I believe yesterday was her 100th day in office as as governor, and she posted a little video of herself talking into a <laughs> ridiculously small microphone. I'll, uh, I'll post either the video or the, the photo with the show notes for this episode, but the thing that caught my attention first is it's this little mic, like of the type that you would expect is like attached to your lapel or, you know, attached to something else, but she's holding it in front of her face like one would hold a full-size microphone, like a handheld microphone. I just thought that was funny. So she talked about some of what she calls her accomplishments. She's spent a lot of money on affordable housing and homelessness. We'll see how that works. Spending money on housing and homelessness hasn't done a lot for housing and homelessness, Thus far, in kind of in the in last year's election, we talked about the fact that Tina Kotek was promising more of what Kate Brown had done, but more and harder. And that's exactly what we're getting. A bunch more spending on these things, kind of sticking with the same policies regarding affordable housing and homelessness and just flushing, in my opinion, flushing more money down the down the toilet and money that we will be missing pretty dearly when the economy turns at some point and Oregon starts to squeal about not having enough money to run the state, which is kind of the pattern here. It's when times are good, we spend a bunch of money, and then times are bad, and we are told we need to increase taxes or all the teachers will be laid off and all the old people will be left without food 
and all the all the state police officers will be laid off and you know, death will reign over the entire state of Oregon. Much to Kotek's presumed chagrin, concurrently with her celebration of her 100 days, the polling outfit Morning Consult came out with a new poll, kind of some new polling results for all the governors in the United States, kind of comparing them. And it turns out that Tina Kotek actually has the lowest approval rating of any governor in the country right now. 100 days into her first term in office, she has 42% of Oregonians, according to the Morning Consult poll, approve of the job that she's doing. That's, again, the lowest in the country. We, there are some that are on the upper end of it. Like there's a Republican governor of Vermont, which is a surprising fact in and of itself. He's the highest at 60, in the 60s or 70s in terms of approval rating. Now, Kotek's at the lowest approval, but she doesn't have the highest disapproval. Her disapproval is 39%. And so to put that in context, when Kate Brown left office, she was at 35% approval and 59% disapproval. So what you're dealing with here is that Kotek right now has uh, seven points higher approval than Kate Brown and significantly lower disapproval. That difference is largely made up in the fact that there's quite a few poll respondents who don't have an opinion of Kotek yet, and that will likely partially explain by the fact that she's new. That's not the only explanation, I don't think, because there's a bunch of other governors, new governors, who are in that poll and all of them have approval ratings that are higher than Tina Kotex. And I think what, what you're seeing, and especially to the degree that Kotex disapproval numbers may creep up and maybe even begin to approach those of Kate Brown, you know, what is the governing majority for Oregon anymore? Back last year, Tina Kotex got 47% of the vote. Republican Christine Drazen, 43.5% of the vote, and independent Betsy Johnson at 8.6% of the vote. So what you had there was less than a 50% turning out to support the person who's now governor. Just anecdotally, it seems that many of those people did so somewhat reluctantly. If you looked at the polling throughout the, the race last year, and we talked a little bit about this with Christine Drazen when we had her on the on the show a few weeks ago, Kotek picked up steam at the end. It appeared that she was attracting voters who previously had been thinking about voting for Johnson and then and then came over to Kotek. So there's a, I think, reading between the lines here, there's a pretty significant number of, of independents, kind of left, typically left-leaning independents, and Democrats who are not thrilled about the Kate Brown, Tina Kotek line of governance, which... I would define as significantly left of your median Oregon Democrat, especially on issues like crime and drugs. And so you've got people that are that'll throw their hat in into the ring, so to speak, in support of someone like Atina Kotek, because they, for now at least, hate the idea of Republicans governing the state even more than they dislike the idea of a hard left progressive running the state. But that doesn't mean that they're happy, and it doesn't mean that perhaps increasingly voice their displeasure with Tina Kotek and kind of her 
governing coalition, which again is significantly to the left, certainly of your media in Oregonian, but also I think is really to the left of your median Democrat voter, even in the Portland area on crime and drugs. If you look at polling related to crime, they all want to increase police staffing, not all, a solid majority of Portland voters want to increase police spending, increase policing to bring down crime. They want to require homeless folks to go into shelters when there is shelter space available. They're much more pro-enforcement than they, they were. They've learned some lesson over the last few years on the enforcement issues related to drugs and crime. They are much more pro-enforcement than Tina Kotek. Tina Kotek, I think, is less pro-enforcement than Mayor Ted Wheeler, Portland's mayor. You have Kotek pretty far out on the left on these issues that are becoming increasingly salient for Oregon voters. As I kind of postulated in, in my piece earlier this week about how I think there's a an opportunity for some Oregon Democrat to break from the kind of hard left progressive herd on crime and drug issues, Kotek could do that. She could in I personally, I think that would be in her political best interest to do so. I don't I think she's got enough enough of her own thing going that she could risk the ire of some of those far left groups that would that would be annoyed at kind of a more moderate approach to crime and drug issues. And she would appeal to kind of those potentially disaffected Democrat voters, et cetera. She doesn't really need to worry too much about her left flank, I don't think. In the primary in 2026, if I were her, I'd frankly be more worried about another Democrat who's more moderate, like a Tobias Reed, giving it another shot and coming out hard against her and kind of the hard left on issues of crime and drugs, because that that opportunity is there. Ted Wheeler could do something of the same, although his his record is, of course, somewhat mixed on those things, and it wouldn't be a clean argument. But I think Kotek's polling numbers show that even with this kind of honeymoon that she's had, and I mean, frankly, the, the media coverage that she's gotten about this stuff that she's done is just completely ridiculous. And it counts spending as a, a good in and of itself on these issues, which there is no evidence whatsoever, especially no evidence in Oregon, that large amounts of spending on housing and homelessness does a darn bit of good. But the media continues to herald her success of spending more money on these things, even though the outcomes continue to get worse. The bad news for for Kotek is that people's perception of these things cannot be completely manipulated by the media, that they see the homeless tents, they see the crime, they see REI closing its Portland store. You get to the point where you just can't deny that that stuff is going on anymore. And as I mentioned in my piece earlier this week, even the media is not denying the reality of that stuff, at least to the degree that they used to. And they're really just inviting someone on the Democrat side to, you know, save the party, I think, and kind of back away from some of these more extreme positions that they've taken on crime and drugs and that voters around the state and even in Portland are like, this isn't working. We know it's not working. And that opportunity is there. Kotex polling numbers confirms that that opportunity is there, that she's 
She's probably about at the ceiling right now in terms of the support in the electorate for a someone who's taking kind of the the harder progressive position that she does on these issues. And she's her her exposure again, I believe, in the primary even is on the more conservative side or, you know, a third party challenge of the sort that Betsy Johnson mounted this last time. Very strong desire for change in Oregon. And the people who've wanted change have not been able to get on the same page about what that change should look like. But it's a situation that people like Kotek need to be concerned about and, in my opinion, hedging against because this stuff can turn very quickly. There's just no question that on crime and drugs, those those issues are just boiling there and the progressive left in Oregon is not doing the stuff that voters know needs to be done in order to address those those problems and they're exposed on it. They've gotten away with it so far, but we'll see if that continues. Our friends at the Breach Collective, so you will recall that I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about this nonprofit in Oregon called Breach Collective. Breach Collective is a climate climate justice organization, I guess, which is to say that they want to stop climate change. And their focus in Oregon largely has been on natural gas. They were in support of the city of Eugene banning natural gas hookups for certain new residents that are built in that city. There's rumors that similar bans are in, will be in consideration here in Bend and elsewhere around the state. The thing that I was writing about is that this group, Breach Collective, this anti-gas stoves group, for some reason came out in opposition to this bill in the Oregon legislature that would increase criminal penalties for domestic terrorism. So in those situations in which someone, for example, oh, you know, blows up a natural gas pipeline and that cuts off service to a lot of natural gas customers, this bill would increase the penalties against someone who did that. And this climate justice group came out in opposition to that bill. It's not a perfect bill, but I thought it was noteworthy that this group came out against it. Anyway, this guy, Nick Caleb, who is an attorney for a breach collective, he was quoted in that piece that I wrote about. He tweeted today, actually, something I took note of. So Nick Caleb of Breach Collective, here's his tweet. USA is a terrifyingly violent place full of fearful, paranoid people who are encouraged to own and use weapons of war, not to mention the violence of car slash truck culture. It's the stuff of nightmares and somehow millions of people clamor for more of it. Really sick culture. So this is the guy that is against increasing penalties for domestic terrorism acts in in Oregon. He thinks the United States in general just has a really sick culture and that it's terrifyingly violent. You know, my question would be if if you're against terrifying violence, you know, that domestic terrorism bill would certainly increase punishment for for violent acts, certain types of violent acts in the state of Oregon, or maybe we're not quite as terrified of 
uh, violent and destructive acts against utilities and their customers that might be seen as meritorious by climate justice groups. I'm not saying that Breach Collective wants to carry out those kinds of acts, but they're, they're violent acts. They would be violent acts. And here's this gentleman, Nick Caleb, saying he's just terrified of the violent culture in the United States. Well, you can strike a blow against violent culture, at least in Oregon's little sliver of the United States, by increasing criminal penalties against people whose terrifying violence takes the form of domestic terrorism. Secretary of State, this is part of my ongoing quest to get to the bottom of that $500,000 donation that was made to the Democratic Party of Oregon in the name of this guy named Nishad Singh, who used to work for this cryptocurrency company called FTX. FTX is bankrupt now. Its founder and CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, is charged with a bunch of counts of federal fraud, including election fraud, related to his donations to a whole bunch of politicians, including U.S. Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon, and donations of the type that were made to the Democratic Party of Oregon in other people's names, but may have come from Sam Bankman-Fried. In theory, Oregon's Secretary of State, Shamia Fagan, is investigating potential criminal charges arising from that $500,000 donation, which was initially misreported by the Democratic Party of Oregon as coming from a company in Nevada rather than from Nishad Singh. They've been assessed a civil penalty because they made that filing and it's it's known that they misreported it once. It's possible that they misreported it twice. If, in fact, the donation was from Sam Bankman-Fried or from FTX or one of its subsidiary companies rather than Nishad Singh. But that's the investigation that Shamia Fagan, who is, of course, a Democrat, is supposedly conducting against or at this point. The investigation has been going on for something like five or six months now. I had a month to a month and a half ago submitted a public records request to the Oregon Secretary of State's office seeking certain documents, communications, emails, and whatnot related to that investigation. I I just yesterday got a whole bunch of documents in response to that, and there's some super interesting stuff in there. not going to share exactly what's in there yet because I'm working to clarify a couple things, but I would expect two, maybe three new stories coming out about that investigation and about the Secretary of State's office here in the next week or two, once I can get some comments nailed down from other people and get some things squared away. So keep an eye out for that. It was a fruitful public records request. Not all of them are, but that one got some really good stuff and I'll have some more specifics to share with you soon. Well, let's wrap up with a conspiracy theory about drought. A few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, I talked on this podcast about my conspiracy theory that there is no amount of precipitation or moisture that could possibly occur on the planet that would cause people to admit that we're not in a drought anymore. As you will recall, part of my conspiracy theory is that climate justice organizations and similar organizations have a vested interest in saying that there's a drought no matter what. And I would also argue that there's an incentive for counties who are who can get extra 
disaster funding if there's a drought. There's just a bunch of kind of incentives to for people to say that there's there's just always a drought. Apparently, as of this week, the snowpack or the water content in the snow in the Cascade Mountains in Oregon right now is at 200% of average. So that means, in theory, there is twice as much moisture trapped in snow and ice up in the Cascades at this point in the year as there typically is. Add to that the fact that anyone who who lives in Oregon knows that we've been getting a terrible amount of precipitation this spring and kind of late winter. We've had snow here in Bend off and on for months and months and months and months and months. I understand from my friends in the Valley that it's been very, very wet over there. We've gotten a lot of precipitation, and you'd think that that would lead to, you know, Something's got to happen with regard to the drought. Are we still in a drought? What amount of biblical rain, what kind of Noah's Ark type of situation would Oregon actually have to endure in order for there not to be a drought? Well, KOIN TV station out of Portland ran a story about this, and they they, they let off their story like this. Drought conditions, which covered all of Oregon at the start of 2023, have been slowly clearing up. But that doesn't mean the whole state is in the clear. Apparently, Tina Kotek, part of her celebration of 100 days on the job, was declaring a state of emergency for Wasco and Harney County in eastern Oregon for drought. This just happened this week in the midst of all this moisture. Now, I'm not in Harney County. I'm not in Wasco County. It's possible that all this moisture that the rest of the state's gotten has skipped those counties The thing you will notice about media stories about the drought, and maybe I'm the only person who cares about this, but this is a longstanding conspiracy theory on my part. These stories always follow this pattern like the KYN story I just read, that yes, there is more moisture, maybe there is historic amounts of moisture that have occurred, but that doesn't mean that the drought's over, or that doesn't mean that the drought's over everywhere or that doesn't mean that we're out of the woods, or that doesn't mean that the fire risk is down. There is always a but in there that preserves the concern about drought. We always have to be in a state of drought, at least mentally, in the state of Oregon. That is my theory. We're testing it this year. We'll see. I'd love to see just a a story out there somewhere that says, it's wet. It is not a drought period. It's really wet because it is. But my conspiracy theory holds that that's just not going to happen. If you see something along these lines, let me know. I'd love to be proven wrong. I would love to see just a straight out story or admission by someone in the mainstream media or someone who's in the weather elite, for lack of a better term, climate elite, God forbid, admit that, yep, you know what? We're not in a drought anymore. Period. Not but. Just period. We're not in a drought anymore. You don't need to point out that we might be back in a drought. That's obvious because droughts come and go. Just a statement that the drought is over. That's what I want to see. And I haven't seen it yet. My gut tells me I never will in my lifetime, but I could be proven wrong. And if you see something, let me know and we'll talk about it here on the podcast 
Thanks again for listening to the Oregon Roundup podcast this week. Love your comments. Feel free to subscribe to this thing on the podcast app of your choice, Apple Podcast, Spotify Podcast, etc. Leave a review if you like it. That helps other people find us. Like I said, keep an eye out for some more written stuff coming out, maybe even later this week if I have time to start getting some of the Secretary of State stuff that I've just received out there. It should be interesting read. Appreciate you reading. Appreciate you listening. And have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.